Warning, the following podcast contains spoilers for all published books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. G'day and welcome to Krakencast. This is the Oceanic branch of the Vassals of Kingsgrave Game of Thrones review series. Today we will be discussing episode 4 of season 5, entitled Sons of the Harpy. My name is Duncan, or Valkyrus on the forums, and joining me today from New Zealand, we have Joseph. Hey, I go by Chow Gamer on the forums. And from Indonesia, we have Silvana. Hi, this is Silvana, a Silvobri in the forums. Well, uh, welcome back, guys. Um, so, uh, Game of Thrones is upon us once more. Feels like season four just ended, kind of. Mm, I'm just still surprised we're actually up to five seasons. Feels like it only came out a year or two ago. It does, yeah. It feels like we're always on borrowed time or something, but uh, it's weird. It, it's moving It's moving so fast into the unknown territory. Yeah, I was, wasn't too excited, actually, about this season compared with the previous seasons, because we know, kind of know that we will be spoiled in probably some of the scenes but yeah but still i i decided to watch again <laughs> yeah that's true that has been a big issue this season a lot of people are sort of leaving the forums or leaving the fandoms because they're afraid that they're going to be spoiled and and they probably will be because um you know it seems like the showrunners do know the the ultimate end game so they're going to be working towards that uh, but apparently that there are too many spoilers this season but but going forward into the series they'll will definitely be spoiled so we'll all have to choose whether we want to keep watching i'm probably this will probably be my last season i don't really i don't know i'm hoping winds of winter will come out soon but uh, yeah i don't really want to be spoiled on big things L- little things i'm okay with but things like you know the battle of ice the battle of fire cersei's trial i kind of want to read that on the page no, fair enough the, the, the battle of ice that has me worried I'm like a massive stannis fan that's the that's the one spoiler i'm nervous about oh and they're hyping it up so much stannis v bruce Hmm. Yeah, we may actually even see it this season because it seems to be the point. This is all building to, uh, like a lot of these early episodes are building to, with all the northern subplots. So yeah, we'll see how that turns out. Yeah, they're definitely building up to it uh, much more than Mayreen. It doesn't seem like the, there is going to be like an outside battle to Mayreen. It seems to be more of like an internal conflict. So do you guys have like uh, friends who do hate watch for Game of Thrones? Because uh, in my group. There are a lot of people watching this just to, you know, so you can you can bass about the, the, the episodes. Really? That seems deeply yes. unpleasant to, to hate watch something. <laughs> I mean, even uh, in, in, in the, 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 the fan club uh, that I coordinate, the West Wars Indonesia, now we're starting a hashtag campaign. So every Monday, right after the HBO uh, airing Game of Thrones, so we have a, our own uh, hashtag. It's in Indonesian, so it's hashtag MisuGOT. So it's basically just, you know, best in GOT. <laughs> so we got a lot of, you know, people unfollowing us, you know, <laughs> because we were just, you know, a bunch of angry book readers. Yeah, it's uh, it's 
fairly divisive. Like a lot of people are like, yeah, it's just a show, get over it. And some people are like, very, you know, it's got to be in the books. But I feel like that's dissipated a lot in this season. Like I feel like people were really pure for the first four seasons. I guess because they were covering the first three books and the first three books are, it's much more like a complete story. Whereas books four and five, they feel much more open-ended, much more open to interpretation and, and condensement. You know, there's a lot of, I don't, I don't want to say filler, but there's a lot of things you can sort of uh, pine down in, in books four and five. So people aren't as um, pearl-clutching about it. Yeah, like uh, Brian's Road Trip comes to mind, how that's like chapter after chapters and they just knocked it out in like two or three episodes. But yep, done. On to the next thing. Yeah, although I did kind of want to yeah. see the Siege of River Run and the, the Quiet Eye oh, where yeah. they get that awesome speech. No, I agree, but yeah, it's what they did is they just sort of crunched it, done and dusted. Yeah, and what they've replaced it with, with Brienne and Sansa and Stannis all converging on this one location, it's, it's kind of exciting. It's exciting not knowing what's going to happen, which is something that book readers aren't really used to. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, so it's it's different media. So I've read a lot of um, reviews from book readers in the internet. They're actually kind of uh, complimenting the show uh, runners for streamlining all the, you know, a lot of scenes in two books, Fist and Dance. Mm. So, yeah, there are a lot of, you know, uh, opinions about it. But, but I mean, since I am surrounded by angry people, so I kind of like, you know, I, I really wanted I really wanted to separate, you know, the, between the book and the show. But since uh, all my friends, uh, they, they hate it, uh, they hate Game of Thrones this season, especially after the last episode, so it's really hard for me to, you know, uh, to be in the neutral side. So what, what, where do you fall on uh, on the show? Are you a fan or do you, I don't know, sort of hate watching Well, it? I used to be a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I, I can only decide after the, the, the season is over. But I'm still trying to, you know, because it's, it's not good, you know, to always be angry on, you know, these episodes. I mean, I paid for HBO. <laughs> so it's, it's not, yeah, I mean, uh, I want, you know, value for my money, obviously. And it's not good, you know, to just hate watch it. So I really want to, you know, um, let's say enjoy the episode. And I think I'm starting to, you know, take more uh, attention to the production values because mm. I think it's still very, very good. So instead of, you know, angry about, oh, this, this, is, uh, this is a change from the book, I see, you know, oh, well, uh, Volantis or Bravos, they're so good. So, yeah, I think better just to focus on what they do best instead of what they, you know, uh, make different. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting maybe after the books have, have finished to maybe rewatch the series with sort of cooler tempers and maybe getting a lot more out of it than we originally thought we were when, when we were so kind of, you know, peering over the, the showrunner's shoulder and harumphing at various decisions and things. Um, but what are your guys' thoughts on the season so far? I mean, we are sort of starting our reviews with episode four, but what are your thoughts on the first three episodes for season five so far? Um... I think it takes uh, second viewing and third viewing to really appreciate those episodes. I, I think my, my first ratings would always be two lemon cakes or two and a half because, again, again still comparing it with the books. Oh, you're harsh. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've, been, I've been preparing myself to see, you know, different scenes, but still, you know, I, I just cannot help it <laughs> but uh it got better after second viewing and third viewing uh because i tried to you know appreciate all the other scenes that i really like and we have one of those in this episode so yeah still okay but 
Um, I'm hoping that later after the, the second half of the season would be much much better, especially with all the action scenes. Yeah, definitely. Um, Joseph, do you have any thoughts on the first three episodes? Uh, the same sort of conclusion, but I'd say I kind of went at it backwards. Like I was really engrossed and quite liked the first three episodes while they were happening, but it was on the second viewing that my kind of opinion cooled and subsequent viewing sort of made me more lukewarm on them like it's by all means some of the best stuff on tv at the moment but it's definitely uh yeah sort of i I find myself too strictly comparing it to the books but when just that first watch when i can uh, sort of push the book purist out of out of myself and just enjoy them for what they are separate from the books that's they're still quite enjoyable even if sort of giving lemon cake ratings they don't seem that impressive yeah i um I was surprised by how, like, the lack of excitement I, I felt, like, going into this season. I was still, you know, excited because it's a show I enjoy, but compared to previous seasons where I was, like, you know, counting down the days until I could watch the premiere, <laughs> whereas here it's like, oh, new episodes come out, I'll, I'll, I'll get around to watching it. But uh, generally, I'm, I'm a sort of a little mixed so far. Like, I thought the first episode was pretty solid. Like, I was sort of pleasantly surprised. Um, good introductory episode. But the second episode, like... I liked a lot of the scenes, but I felt like they were really weirdly paced, and a lot of the decisions that characters were making were a bit weird. Like, Jamie's decision to go to Dawn felt sort of abrupt and and unearned. Like, I think it seems to stem from, like, this parental guilt over, you know, not taking care of of Marcella and Tommen, but I didn't really feel like that was built up to or or, um, explored in any way prior to that. And it is a pretty big departure from the book, so I thought they could have laid a bit more groundwork there. And uh, John's election, I felt like that's one of my sort of the most memorable moments from book three, which is full of memorable moments. And I thought that that felt very anticlimactic. And um, I'm not even sure they need to do anything. Two minutes. Yeah, exactly. I don't even know if they had to do anything different. It just just felt maybe if they paced it out a bit more, like have one scene here, one scene towards the end of the episode, maybe a middle scene where where Sam is is talking among among the men. It just like... A lot of the time with the show, I feel like we're not getting the outside, just the general day-to-day activities of the men. We're only in rooms with high lords and we're not seeing uh, the people on the ground, which is what I liked about this episode. We saw much more of the outside, the throne room, the city streets and all that, the people of King's Landing and Marion. Um, but yeah, so far, yeah, I, I've enjoyed it. Um, what did you guys think of the flashback at the beginning of the, the first episode? Because that was the first time we've ever gotten a flashback. Yeah, like I was really worried because shows like this tend to handle flashbacks like really poorly, like having it sort of super played out and just like drenched in sepia tones <laughs> or like a really thick blurry filter. But yeah, it turned out much, much better than I thought it would. Like it's sort of, I'd liken it to all the brand dream scenes we've had earlier on, like there's sort of this temptation to make dream scenes really dreamlike, but you look at them and it's they could just fit in and be normal, but they have more relevance because they are hallucinations or flashbacks or the like. Hmm. Yeah, the, the best way to do dreams is usually to, for it to be like 95% normal, but there's just this one uncanny element that just kind of unnerves yeah, you. sort of surrealism creeping into it. Yeah, sort of yeah. Thing, yeah. And I liked how we didn't actually know the context. There was sort of a mystery around it. Like it felt like it was taking place in present day. And then it's not until the end that you realize this is something that takes place in the past. And uh, yeah, so far I feel like that's an interesting kind of... Um, it's an interesting thing to start the season with. It's kind of like a statement. And I feel like that's kind of what they're exploring. You know, issues of um, the past coming back to haunt us and issues of prophecy and, and uh, you know these kind of vicious circles of suffering that we create for ourselves and uh, parents and father figures. Uh, yeah. Do you think there will be another flashback? Um, I don't think so, no. 
Yeah, because they haven't mentioned the Falun Kaur. No, they didn't, no. They mentioned that she would be queen and that her three children would uh, be crowned, but they would die. So that's kind of very much the motivating factor for Cersei in uh, in trying to, you know, getting Jaime to, to rescue Marcella and then trying to rend uh, Tommen away from Marjorie's claws. And obviously mm. the idea well, that Marjorie too bad is like because the, 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 the actress, yeah, the, the actress who played uh, little Cersei is very, very good. Yeah, so she Nina was Gold good, yeah. Once again. yeah. I was really excited mm. because it's, it's the first, um, it was the first scene of the season and actually, it's a very good opening compared with the uh, the rest of the episode uh, for me. But uh, I watch it on the big screen because HBO invited us to uh, watch it in a movie theater, the premiere. So before it was aired in Asia. So it was really great. And I was holding little Cersei. <laughs> but we're trying not to talk too uh, loud because we don't want to spoil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what Cersei does obviously has big ripple effects for the for the rest of the characters. So it is like this little seed that kind of grows outwards, this paranoia in Cersei's mind. I can't remember if it was uh, like an actual sort of official interview with some of the cast or just like some speculation on a review website. But I remember hearing that this was going to be in a lot of ways Cersei's season. And sort of how like you've had the one central character that's been like the main person throughout the season. Like our Ned was the first season, probably Tyrion was the second, so on. And if it is going to be Cersei's season, it's good to have just that cold start of her flashback. And I think sort of the flashback will be more impressive when we're looking back after seeing Cersei's arc and like everything that's going to happen to her as the season progresses. Yeah, it is an interesting choice because they've so often pushed Danny and John as like the the protagonist of this series, but the idea of putting Cersei is ultimately a villain to the forefront. That's a it's a bold decision. And I sort of I've been I've liked Cersei a lot this season, like more than other seasons, but I feel like we're still not getting inside her head in any real way. We're not getting her internal kind of monologues and all that. But Yeah, uh, that's what I'm a bit afraid of because I I think Lena Hede, I mean he's she's a very good actress, but I think she's way too cool mm. in playing Cersei. Because she's, she's not, I mean, she's not crazy enough for me. But yeah. you can already, if, if yeah, if you, you see the, if you read the books, then you you know, uh, the, you know the, the inner monologues, the, the way she thinks, uh, the way she screws up. But you don't get it here, and and even the one that we she faced, a Marjorie, she, she she looks so you know cool. I mean, she she held her composure. There's nothing there. So it's it's just you know the same with with the previous season probably. So I don't know whether whether we we'll have to see it for the next episodes. Um, I don't know. I feel like this season it's almost like she's sort of coming unhinged, like she's losing her status and her power. And and that scene with Marjorie, yeah, she's got this composure, but it feels like this this rage bubbling underneath. Like you know the idea that she's sort of being pushed out and she's starting to lash out at people and like a wounded beast or something. Um, yeah, I like the very scenes it's hilarious the witch scene sorry the small council the very yeah. very small council the, the increasingly <laughs> smaller council yeah so do we want to give our lemon cake ratings for this episode yeah sure uh joseph would you like to start uh yep uh I don't know, I think this is sort of, I, I quite like this episode in a lot of the ways. It's had a lot of those sort of tick boxes that Game of Thrones has when it's at its, when it's, at its best, and it's everything you come to expect from the show. Sort of the action, the characters, the, the like likable people dying, the nudity, everything was sort of come to want from it. Uh, is is there more or less, and with like sort of a couple exceptions, the Sand Snakes mostly come to mind. I, I really enjoyed it. 
And so yeah, uh, three and a half lemon cakes for me. Then it's definitely my favorite episode this season so far by a significant margin. Oh really? Mm. Mm. So you like the sun yeah. snakes? <laughs> no. <laughs> um. He doesn't like the sand snakes. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the sand snakes. I don't like the show's sand snakes. Although part of that might just be projecting my sort of uh. dislike for Keisha Castle Hughes after being forced to watch Whale Rider in high school. <laughs> so. <laughs> was good there you can't be objective you didn't think it was good there? <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure if i watched it for the first time now i'd say she was good but like little 15 year old me having to sit through it multiple times in a month had a different opinion what about you silvana um okay first viewing one lemon cake with a bit <gasps> of a bowl of brown <laughs> oh, you <laughs> yeah, are harsh, harsh. Yeah. Yeah, but a uh, second viewing, maybe two lemon cakes. So it's yeah, uh, it's very, uh, more or less the same with the previous episodes. Uh, one lemon cake uh, for uh, the Stani scene, which we're going to discuss uh, soon, and the other is for Kyburn's facial uh, facial uh, expression when he was looking at Mace. It's yeah. so hilarious. <laughs> So, um, yeah, uh, there are a lot of, you know, uh, divergence from the book. So, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's why I, I, di- I still have it, you know, low, <laughs> give it a low rating until now. I don't know whether it, I can watch it for, for the third time, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm highballing it now. I, <laughs> I'd probably give it a solid four lemon cakes. Um, I was generally pretty pleased with the episode. I, I liked it more than the, the first two of the season. Not quite as much as, as episode three, which I was a big fan of. Um, I thought the action scenes in Dawn and Mayreen were really exciting and well shot. Uh, I think that was sort of a step above like previous action scenes in the, in the series. Um, and I thought there was like a nice coherence between the scenes, like the faith militant and the harpies are sort of these interesting echoes of each other um and this sort of growing fanaticism that's that's infecting a lot of the world and the idea of this there's this sort of this power vacuum that a lot of the the, the great figures of, of the previous uh seasons like Tywin and Joffrey and Mance Raider they've died and all of these smaller side characters are, are scrambling to sort of fill that void um, and I like the themes of parenthood that were sort of evoked by characters like Stannis and Ilaria and uh, Daenerys as the mother of dragons and all that. So yeah, I was generally happy with it. Um, you're you're very well, lucky. You're very lucky, I think. You reckon? Because you can, you can give yeah. Uh, you can you, you're very lucky because you can give it uh, four lemon cakes because I cannot. <laughs> yeah, I guess I uh, I just see it as a. I mean, obviously, I'm a huge fan of the books, but um, I just kind of mm-hmm. try and separate it a bit and. I don't know. I'm almost the opposite to a lot of people. Cause a lot of people are like super yeah. hard on it because they they're fans of the book. But to me, it's like I love the world so much that I'm just happy to be there and happy to see the perform the that dialogue actually interpreted and performed by actors and seeing uh, all those you know places come to life and and, and be drawn in color and, and like I think the soundtrack is fantastic for the series. So um, I'm generally a really like at first and first and foremost, I'm a fan of the show. Like that's how I came to the books. So I generally have a pretty positive view of the series. Um, okay. So any preferences on where we start our discussion? We'll sort of jump around to the different locations. Should we start with the uh, newcomer of the episode, Dawn? Yeah, sounds good. Um, this is the first time we get Dawn in the opening credits. And was anyone else sort of confused that we jump from Mayreen to Dawn? <laughs> That kind of annoyed me because Dawn is part of the Seven Kingdoms. Like now, the viewers are all confused. They think Dawn's like on the other side of Marine or something. You sort of get the feeling that oh, we have this really nice intro and we can't be bothered like re-editing it. So we'll just tack Dawn on the back. 
It's fine. No one will notice. They should have like panned down from King's Landing so you know it's it's south of King's Landing. Yeah, ah. yeah it's, it's really close to King's Landing, all things considered. <laughs> Closer than Moraine, definitely. Yeah, it just felt weird. And instead of being a city, it's just Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fair enough, I guess, since they're sort of out in the middle of the nowhere. They're just running around the, the plains of Dawn. Yeah, well, we, we hear Planky Town. Which I can only assume, if you're a show reader, has got to sound like just the most goofy name for a settlement ever. <laughs> like if you didn't know it was a bunch of like bunch of broken boats strapped together in a in a, in a swamp, <laughs> like if you missed the context, it just sounds really goofy. Planky is, Town is that what Planky Town is? I think so. Yeah, isn't it like the uh, the ruin, like the wrecks of Nymeria's ship, uh, like oh. set up around the Green Blood? That's pretty cool. Yeah, and that's why it's Planky Town, because it's literally just made up of lots and lots of planks, more or less. So it wasn't founded by, like, Sir Planksworth or something? <laughs> okay, so, starting with Dawn. Jamie and Brion... <laughs> Jamie and Bron are smuggling themselves into Dawn on a mission to rescue the Princess Marcella. Upon arrival, they are accosted by Border Patrol, but manage to fight their way clear. I think I remember reading something about Adornis. Uh, you cannot really land a ship there or something. So I don't know whether whether that's accurate or not. But how that that's just you know mini picking. Uh, it was okay. I mean, not it's canon. good to see JB. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I just imagine you throwing a book at the TV screen. <laughs> no, no. I I love my books too much. <laughs> <laughs> No, but but yeah, I I enjoy the the the, the uh, action scene, but I don't know about the, the rest, uh, you know, of, of the of their journey. And I was thinking to myself whether you know Broad will replace somebody in the books, you know, maybe um, Aris Oakheart. So he will, uh, will he die? Dark Star. Born? He's Dark Star. Fan favorite. Dark Star. We all know that. Dark Star is too great; he can't be contained on screen. They they couldn't find an actor worthy of him. Yeah, that would be so good if they just recast the Benjamin. Don't even comment on it. Just rehire him and make him Darkstar and just never mention <laughs> that he was in the show before. He's not even wearing like Dornish garb. He's just in like a black cloak in the middle of the Dornish <laughs> desert. <laughs> I liked uh, the part where Jamie sees the Isle of Tarth. I thought that was pretty cute where he's pining after Brienne. All the shippers, uh, Jamie and Brienne's shippers. Oh, yeah. Ship yeah. set sail. He's literally on a ship, shipping Brian. <laughs> um, but um, I was wondering if, because he says something like, you know, uh, Bron asks him, how do you want to die? And he says, in the arms of the woman I love. And I was wondering if he was referring to Brienne subconsciously rather than Cersei. I don't know. That was my little book purist quibble. Was Tarth looked way too small? Was, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, it seemed to, small to me at the time. I haven't watched, like, I watched it yesterday, so I may just be misremembering, but Estamont's kind of teeny, and Tartha's kind of big from memory. Oh, I, I see, can see how mean, he yeah. got confused, but, <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> just me being picky. Well, maybe Jamie failed geography at, at Castellan yeah, Rock High. <laughs> well, he is dyslexic, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's trouble meant reading time. the labels on the map. That's probably it, yeah. Um, but do you think it might also be foreshadowing Bronze death in, as the sort of Ari's surrogate? Because he says, you know, I want a boring death. You know, I've had an exciting life. I want a boring death. Might be foreshadowing him, like, uh, saving Jamie's life but being killed or something. Yeah. Being killed John by Ariel Hota. 
Oh yeah, because you kind of need um, you need. Yeah. I mean, I had to say it, but you sort of need someone to die to bring that sort of emotional stakes to to the Dawn storyline. It is fairly peripheral. Mm-hmm. But that would definitely draw the audience in. Yeah. Because Bron is definitely a fan favorite. He's awesome. But um, what do you guys think of Dawn so far? You know, we've only seen uh, five minutes in the water gardens, and then we see this kind of shot, uh, you know, out in the open on the on the beaches of Dawn. I'm pretty positive. Like, I, I like how um, it seems very f- like sunny and fertile compared to the very drizzly gray beach that we see Bron on in uh, episode two. So, um, I think I think the color palette is definitely distinct to to the other areas of the of the show. Yeah, like just sort of aesthetically, I agree. The the, the way they're portraying Dawn so far is definitely pretty cool. It's sort of a refreshing difference. It's not quite that sort of dry drab like Essos, and it's definitely not the sort of cliche fantasy Europe that is Westeros in general. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it has a more sort of open feel to it, like the uh, the Wild West. Well, not the Wild West, but this big open plains and, and riders riding this way and that, like the Rohirrim or something. The, the palace is really, really cool. And I, I really like, you know, uh, looking at Doran Martel. Oh, I, think, I uh, love Alex that actor. Cidic. Oh, God. He yeah. looks so cool, yeah. Uh, and Ario Hota with his, um, I don't know, is that a long axe or a glaive? Because I, I don't think that's canon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His uh, his axe bride. Yeah, uh, but yeah, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But hopefully, I, I really hopefully like. Hopefully, we the, don't the get first... a sex scene between Ario and his 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 axe. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, there's a debate uh, in uh, in Goodreads actually, one of the forums for a Song of Ice and Fire. Um, I remember I was really angry after watching that episode when when they showed Elaria uh, because it's so different with her book, book characters, right? Uh, in the books, he wanted to, you know, forgive, but but in the show, they they made her like uh, Dark Star 2.0. Uh, he she she wanted to to hurt uh, Mircella. so it's not even at the end. It's it's a it's a Dark Star, I think. But yeah, and and I said, oh my god, this is just another character assassination, you know, <laughs> me being angry and typing. But but yeah, but but some people said that no 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 it's not it's not character assassination and and then they they, they made their argument so yeah I'm, I'm coming down now. Mm. Yeah, well, what, I what do you guys think? That. It's because I was really because I faced as my favorite book and I was rather annoyed that they didn't cast an Ariane and they kind of like I thought they just were throwing that out and it's not quite the same as having her in but yeah I that's looking at Alaria she seems like they sort of composited Alaria and Ariane trying to sort of you need that one character that's just fuming with anger and scheming to get things like put back on track and there isn't the whole like her father trying to teach her to be a schemer rather than just a hot-headed plotter uh, part but yeah I, I it sort of assuaged my anger at Ariane being absent a little by seeing how they composited the character although I like I can definitely see how you could argue it as character assassination by just making Alari a 180 from how she is in the books. Yeah, well, it's a completely mm-hmm. different character. Um, I mean, I'm sort of... I, I'm interested in it now, but it doesn't really have that longevity that, that the Ariane character would have had because she starts to become her father's protege, and obviously that's a big part of the Dornish identity, the idea that uh, women can inherit and become rulers and things like that. So the fact they scrap that is kind of unfortunate, but it might just be symptomatic of the idea that they're not... Dawn's probably not going to be this big story, ongoing storyline. It's probably just going to be contained to this season. In, but I guess we don't, I guess we don't know. Yeah, because they're probably going to cut out all the stuff with um, Aegon and all that, and Arya, and that was obviously her destination. Mm-hmm. 
uh, in future books. So yeah, that might be a, a sign that, that they're not going to explore all that. But oh, I uh, hope going, it's, it's going not back. a spoiler. Um, I hope it's not a spoiler that uh, we won't. You know, Aryan will not play uh, any important role uh, uh, in the in Wins or the seventh book. Um, yeah, I don't know. Or well, Dawn or Aegon. That's, or that, that's that what worries me is spoiler by omission. Yeah. Like the stuff they don't focus on. That's that's the thing, like rather than showing stuff that'll happen, showing stuff that won't happen is worse in my opinion. Yeah. That's true, yeah. Um just going back to the Jamie and Brian why do I keep saying Brian? <laughs> I have a friend that constantly yeah. gets Bran and Bronn confused, and so he'll be talking about how Bran will be wandering around with Jamie, or how Bronn will be like riding on Hodor's back, and it gets confusing. Just the idea of a B-sounding name after Jamie, I automatically think Brienne. I don't know, is there a Brienne, Bronn, ship, Brienne? <laughs> Probably not. Oh, there's, belongs- there's a ship for everything. <laughs> no, she belongs to Jamie. Um, yeah, I really like this fight scene. I thought it was uh, really well um, shot. Like, I liked the this sort of incline that Jamie gets on as he's being hammered, and yeah, I just thought it was really. I don't know. You could you could sort of sense the actors in that space, sort of the kinetic. Um, it wasn't sort of just jittery camera. It had a nice flow to it, and uh, and Jamie um, rips off Victorian's famous move at the end. <laughs> Except he's smart enough to have a metal hand. Uh, I didn't actually notice that until I read the show notes earlier. And yeah, so I guess that's yeah, probably the closest we're going to get to seeing Victorian in the show. So That's a yeah. patented Kraken move. He owes Aww. Victorian ro- royalties. The, uh, the fight <laughs> was quite good. Like it was to. action-y. And it had little like comic relief notes. Like, ah, he should be slow enough. And yeah. Sort of just the, the look of shock on Jamie's face. And he's like, oh, crap. I've, I've actually won this. <laughs> Stab. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Alaria has gathered the late Oberon Martell's bastard daughters, the Sand Snakes. They know that Jamie has arrived in Dawn and plot to kill Marcella as vengeance for their father's death at Lannister Hands. So, Joseph, you have some gripes with the show's interpretation of the Sand Snakes? They just seem too homogenous. It's sort of like uh, Oberon Martell was just such a popular character, they just want to shoehorn in Dornish things. And it's like, look, here's a whole bunch of just like vaguely not white people that are all Oberyn's children and look at this Amazon brigade and it sort of glosses off all the fine details and cool stuff that we get in the books but it is early for all I know in an episode or two they'll start adding in the little quirks and individuality of them rather than just look here are three women with leather armor and spears daggers whips whatever yeah I guess we haven't seen enough to for me to judge the the actors I'm okay with them like I definitely like Alaria but um the three, yeah, the three sand snakes. I'm not quite sure. Um, the the scene did feel a little bit awkward, just having to run through all of this exposition, just one by one, introduce each each sand snake and attach some kind of generic trait to them, and a bit kind of posturing the the Obara character, just uh, waltzing around and saying, oh, "I'm such a badass," and then killing that guy. No, that 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 is Obara more or yeah. less in the box. True. So that, that that was despite my innate dislike of Keisha Castle Hughes, that was that was the part I liked about it, even if it was clunky exposition, all things considered. I, I did get a laugh though when she starts her monologue about how uh, Oberyn assigned her the spear, and you just see the guy buried in the sand, covered in scorpions. He's just kind of watching her as she walks away. Just, <laughs> I just get like this eternal monologue, like, is this going to be a long story? <laughs> yeah, just kill me already. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really like actually the the, the introduction uh, George made in the books about the sand snakes because it's so how different they are in their approaches to uh, have vengeance uh, over uh, 
Oberyn's death. And I remember there's a very great scene with Tyin and um, and Doran, where Tyin asked for Doran's blessing, and then she kind of I don't know I, I think she touched or or not, and and Doran saying Oh my God, did she just poison me? Yeah, she <laughs> so, asks. Yeah, yeah just, she kisses him on the forehead, and he hesitates because her ah, lips yeah. might be poison. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it it shows the, the uniqueness of it's a sand snake. I mean, I don't mind if they don't cast you know all all of them, but I at least just gave them, you know. But I, I think we were going to see probably the, the characters being fleshed out in later episodes. But judging from from this episode, I think they're just, you know, a copycat of Obara. So it's Obara one, Obara two, and Obara three. Uh, well, Obara seemed a bit more rougher, and and Nim was kind of a bit more graceful and and seductive kind of thing. And uh, what's what's the other the, the daughter of Alari? I, I couldn't remember her name. Tyene. Is that what she's in called the on the show? Yeah. I wasn't sure yeah. if they named her. Oh, so so that's Tyene, but she's a different character, obviously. I am interested because there's a sort of bit more dimension to the conflict now now that Jamie's here because it's not just the Sand Snakes versus Duran. It's kind of like. Jamie's trying to do this secret message. He's sort of against Doran, but he can't let anyone know. The Sand Snakes are sort of against Doran, but they're also against... They have to stop Jamie or get to Marcella before him. So there's a bit more uh, subterfuge and, and dimension to the to the conspiracy now, which could could be uh, interesting. Yeah, on the whole, I'm definitely yeah. like, looking forward to where this Dawn plotline's going to go. does seem very interesting. And, and Bronn and Jamie, his characters are very... Um, Engaging, they hold your attention for sure. So it'll be fun to see them interacting with Doran and the Sand Snakes and all that. I'm sure Bronze, just his banter with just about any other character on the show is just great. Any yeah. scene with a Jerome Flynn in it is, <laughs> I'm happy. So <laughs> definitely, yeah, he's cool. Um, okay, shall we move on to King's Landing? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so. Cersei further dismantles the small council by sending Mace Tyrell off to treat with the Iron Bank. Afterwards, she calls on a favour from the High Sparrow, who is now the High Septon, restoring the Faith Militant in return for closing down Littlefinger's brothel and arresting Loras Tyrell. Um, I think it, it went a bit too fast uh, for, for Cersei, you know, uh, rearming the Faith Militant, but maybe they're just, you know, streamlining... Uh, the show again and then um, because I, I, I remember she was manipulated uh, actually into doing that by the High Septon mm. so it's not that fast um, just a nitpick but it, it doesn't really matter uh, I don't think they have made any distinction about the two uh, I don't know factions or units uh, with the Faith Militant because you have the poor fellows and the warrior sons so it seems you know a bit you know diverse between uh, both I don't know, but it's not it's not that important. Um, about the small council scene, I mentioned about Kyburn. I think it, it is really hilarious, the, the scene with him and Mace Tyrell. Uh, and oh, and also uh, sending Mace Tyrell uh, to Braavos with Meryn Tran. Do you think there will be uh, any encounter with Arya? That would yeah. be interesting to watch. I reckon Arya is going to kill uh, Meryn Tran, definitely. Meryn. That'll be her kill for yeah. the season, yeah. He'll take the Mary place Meryn's of Daron. Dead. Yeah, he's done for. <laughs> There's no way he's coming back. <laughs> and they're also sort of building him up as this big, sort of brutal guy. Like you know, he enters and there's some scary music, and he just kind of imposes over the table. So they're they're building him up as a as a boss for Arya. Yeah, it almost seemed like uh, Cersei was going to have him assassinate Mace. Like that seemed to be what they were going for. I don't know if that was just me reading into it, but just sort of the ominous music and him showing up over the shoulder, hmm. and then Mace's like gleeful ignorance. <laughs> so that seems where it's going, but that would be a really dumb move. 
That would be dumb because because Mace is so easy to manipulate. He's perfect to have in a position on the small council. He's just basically yeah. a, he'll do anything Cersei says. Like why why assassinate the single most richest and powerful noble when you can just yeah leave him? But I mean, he straight up offers to pay the the crown's debts. I mean, you want this guy around? Yeah, I can only assume it's some sort of weird bait and switch. But what they're going to switch it for, I'm not sure. Yeah, I yeah. Love... What do we think is going to happen to Mace and Bravos? I hope he's okay. <laughs> I like him. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> yeah like, you don't want him to die, but he, like, yeah, he's just so happy to be invited anywhere. Like he's just like happy to participate. It's hilarious. <laughs> just gleefully, like you know, such an honor. My very own king's guard. <laughs> what about Loras uh, arrest? I yeah, I was a bit surprised there. Um, but maybe do you think he'll 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 replace Marjorie's place in the books? Because I don't think now they will they will persecute Marjorie because he already consummated her her marriage with uh, uh, Tommen. Yeah, it's possible. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. a trial for yeah. Loras. Yeah, I wasn't sure what to think of the um. Yeah, because we get the attack on the brothel, and then we get this really sort of disturbing scene of these two gay guys being killed, and you see Oliver mm-hmm. watching in horror. And um, on one hand, it definitely gives you a bigger impression of the Faith Militant as this really scary, imposing force, more so than the books. Because in the books, they're sort of just, they're not that bad, like they're not doing too much horrible things. It's more more the idea yeah. that Cersei has lynched herself and she's armed this force that can overthrow her. But here, it's actually this force of evil in the world and, and she's unleashed it. It's almost like she's done this deal with the devil in um, allying herself with the High Septon. And yeah, you definitely you're always hearing about the faith militant from afar, but now actually seeing them wrought chaos up close, it's uh, it definitely creates an impression. But uh, I wasn't yeah, I wasn't sure about. It feels a bit exploitative, just like all the yeah the them killing the gay people because they they the show's never really been that interested in exploring the gay perspective. And and f- to be fair, like Martin hasn't either, but he. I guess sort of depend on how they handle it from Loris's perspective and, and whether he becomes a more prominent character in the show and, and whether Oliver sort of becomes a more prominent character in the show because we know Littlefinger's coming back. So it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully we get their reaction and their, their point of view on that kind of uh, fundamentalism rather than just having it being a plot mechanic. Um, yeah, and, and, and the repercussions of the uh, of the act itself. Uh, in the show, they don't have Willis, uh, Willis Tyrell, right? So Loras is the heir to uh, Highgarden. He is. So yeah. if they arrest the heir of Highgarden, so what's what what's what will be next? So I, I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll get Olena back in King's Landing, but yeah, I'm hoping for that. But yeah, yeah. Be, although to be fair, in the books they do arrest Marjorie, who is the queen. Um, so it, it, I guess it's more that it just happened so fast. You know, in, in the in the books, it was a long process of the faith gaining more and more power and more and more influence. Whereas here, it's basically as soon as they're put together, they're immediately you know, doing this huge move, uh, arresting mm-hmm. you know the heir to a house. It seems like they don't have the power yet for that. But I guess it's it's implied that it's happening behind the scenes that the High Sparrow has gathered all of this power in the meanwhile. Um, but it would have been nice to maybe see a bit more of that prior to this to this moment of sudden sort of power upheaval maybe if Brienne had seen a bunch of sparrows on the road going to King's Landing you know the idea of the the uh the downbeaten gathering to to religion they've sort of lost faith in the systems of feudalism and monarchy and they're they're gathering under this new power that's arising that would have been a good foreshadowing but yeah I quite like it was sort of disappointing like I was thinking that uh that, that Loras didn't get to fight back yeah, because he's sort of regularly hyped up as being such a big warrior, and then they just kind of 
in their like ring wraith robes just walk up and just kind of dogpile him and take him out because you know, he just <laughs> sort of passes his sword away like oblivious to the 20 dudes in ominous robes slowly surrounding him yeah he's a great warrior he should have been onto that as soon as they appeared like that that nah, you know fighter's instinct uh, I do like how they recycled Lancel as well. Like they, the show sort of has the issue with character bloat, and it was sort of you get the feeling Lancel's going to be a very big sort of looking glass into the perspective of all the, I guess, well, yeah, I guess just faith militant in general, because as you said, sort of they don't seem to be touching on the noble and peasant parts of the army. But yeah, that's sort of, and it was yeah, a cool little scene about seeing him like scarring himself and getting the uh, seven pointed star carved into him. Is sort of a nice, quick way of showing just how crazy, uh, zealous some of these people are. Yeah, that was really intense. Like, when I first saw it, I thought someone was being tortured, like they'd taken someone and were branding, you know, sinners. But uh, then mm. it zooms back, and it's actually one of the, the, the faith militant themselves. So definitely um, emphasizing that fundamentalism and that they're giving themselves over completely, their, their, their personhood, their rights, their selfhood over to this, to this cause. So it's definitely a change. It's a shifting in the power mechanics, as we, as we see later when Tommen, the king of, of Westeros, is somehow supplicated to these people. It is actually a, a weird scene. So now a king cannot go past, uh, cannot go into the, uh, to the sap because they, they block uh, Tommen's way and they even, you know, throw, uh, throw insults at him without, uh, you know, any repercussions. Yeah, also so, hopes that Tommen is quite a, he's sort of a mellow person. Like, you can just imagine what would happen if they tried to pull that on Joffrey. It would have ended mm. much more, much more violently. So I guess, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. might have been a situation when having Joffrey in power may have had positive repercussions. It, it was interesting, mm. though, because the, the Kingsguard are definitely primed for that response. They lean over and said, you know, just say the word, Tommen, and we'll, and we'll tear this mob apart. Um, but he says no. He says we'll find another way. Which, on one hand, is encouraging because it's like, oh, this guy isn't a isn't a maniac like Joffrey who just jumped to violence as a first resort. You know, the idea of finding another way is encouraging for a king, potentially going to be the king of the Seven Kingdoms. He has that sort of wisdom at an early age. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, it's that whole shadow on the wall thing. He's suddenly seen as weak. He's suddenly seen as supplicating himself to the faith and now the, the religion has suddenly uh, seems much more powerful than him not just the faith militant the arm you know faction of the of the, of the religion but you also see behind him uh, the small folk are, are shouting abuse they suddenly don't fear or respect the monarchy the way they used to they've lost faith in it after so much war and instability um, and the idea of like the sinner like they're running around saying you're a sinner we've got to be killed the, the city's got to be purified of this sin so I think it plays into that idea that like, there's this corruption that's rank across the city and across the Seven Kingdoms and they need to, to bleed it out. Um, definitely a very yeah, fundamentalist mindset. I hope they stretch that out some more because at the moment, like, sort of, like, the, the High Sparrow, he seems a relatively likable character despite the crazy zealotryness that he seems to be keeping under control. Yeah, I really of, like him. There's, it's a very gentle performance, but there's this cunning underneath. He, he is like um, sort of the way Kyburn is described in the novels as this kind, gentle grandfather figure. But you can just sense beneath there's this, you know, very cunning Tywin-like mind ticking, ticking away beneath. I did like the uh, 
how he just, I don't know, he, for all I know, he's probably lying, but the little line about how uh, he, he would take the drink, but he's just not much of a wine person. Like, he would play it off as being faithful, but he's just not, not feeling it. I love the look of, like, just disappointment on Cersei's face when she doesn't get a glass of wine and she has to push it aside. It's like, oh, I was really looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, like, yeah, the Cersei wine jokes are, are great. Like the, I think Marjorie in one of the earlier episodes is just like, ah, can we get you some wine? It's a little early, but I can ask to fetch some for you. It's that subtle dig. <laughs> yeah, that was great. It's an interesting point, though, that they've changed it to being Cersei's decision to reinstall the, the Faith Militant, which I think kind of it makes her feel a bit more um, in control, a bit more savvy than her book counterpart, where everyone is just getting one over on her and she's being manipulated and, and mocked from all angles. Whereas here, it's it's a deliberate decision. Uh, you see in the first scene, she's, she's not filling the small council with uh, fanatics and people who are just going to suck up to her, as she did in the books. She's, act- she's actively dismantling it. She's She's taking it apart, and she's almost trying to claim all the power for herself, which is a really bold move. And the same with the Faith Militant. She's making an active decision to undermine the Tyrell power base and undermine Marjorie's relationship with uh, Tommen, which is sort of impressive sort of political maneuvering on Cersei's part, I think. I find that Cersei's emptying of the small council quite a good foil to uh, Tywin's like speech he gave to Tommen last season, I think it was, about how a good king listened to, listens to his advisors, mm. and he's on the opposite Cersei just removing all advisors because they're potential threats to her and sort of yeah you see like on one hand she's consolidating power but on the other hand she's sort of she probably is going to end up overburdening herself and like having advisors and people to delegate work to exist for a reason so it's just sort of contrasting how she would handle things and how Tywin would handle things and again it seems to come back to that the prophecy the fear that her children are in danger and she thinks that everyone around her, as, as Jamie says it, it, during the funeral scene, everyone's going to try and take it from us. So it's definitely that paranoia setting in. I think she's afraid that she's going to be ripped down and become nothing again, become become a broodmare or something or an old crone and, and lose all the power that she's spent her life gathering. Or even worse, that her children will be killed. They'll be made to suffer um, so she's trying to rend Tommen away from Marjorie somehow. She thinks he's in danger. So um, I, I like that as a motivation for, for, uh, for Cersei. I think that's well done. But I do generally agree that the Faith Militant, that sort of came too abruptly. I think it would have been better served to have been passed out a bit. And you see the gathering of the religious people and the the, uh, the subtle undermining of the monarchy and and it slowly builds to this point where they suddenly have power over the streets. Maybe maybe this, this scene could have been in, in episode six or seven, but I guess we don't really know how the whole season's going to play out. We're not sure when, when Cersei's going to be uh, imprisoned, when, when this High Sparrow will betray her. Yeah, I think it was how they've done it would be fine if they'd, yeah, if they'd just been dropping hints last season. Like if you, if you sort of saw a build-up, like it hasn't been too rushed in general, I'd say, but it's definitely been rushed on a broad perspective. Like it's just, oh, wait, like lots of people are really religious now. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would have liked to see some of that, um, even in just subtle ways, just while one scene is happening, you just see it in the background. Uh, but it is interesting how religion is definitely playing a much bigger role in this season. We see... You know, the Red Priestess in Volantis gathering followers and talking about Danny as though she's this savior. And, uh, and obviously, uh, yeah, Melisandre burning people in, in, at the wall. Mm, well, this is where it would be a good point to actually have done the 
ironborn thing there's you fairly pious characters there that sort of their religion's so well entwined with their life that mm. you know raiding and religion are pretty much the same thing for them but oh yeah they're probably not going to like whatever happened to balon he, he just kind of disappeared part way through he's still alive well, well a, no, a he's not dead but b he's also just not a character anymore either I guess the mm-hmm. idea is that the Ironborn have been kicked out of the North. So um, Theon managed to get them out of Mo Kalen and Ramsay, you know, um, beat them back uh, when they tried to attack the Dreadfort. So I, I guess the implication is they've fallen back to, to the Iron yeah. Islands. Their takeover has failed. I also also Arya that in the House of Black and White, this weird sort of death cult religion. It's sort of a different dimension to power because we're, we're so used to the idea of the king figure and the, the figure of wealth wielding power, but religion is a much more trickier um, aspect of power. It's, uh, yeah, the gods, um, all these different interpretations about how the world works and why there is good and why there is evil and whether evil is punished or not. Um, let's move on to the wall. So, Stannis watches John training in the yard. Uh, his wife comes over and apologizes for never giving him a son, only a sickly daughter. And later, Shireen asks her father whether he is ashamed of her, and he tells her that she will always be his daughter. And they hug, and we all fall a little bit more in love with Stannis, king of the Andals and the Bruyne and the First Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I was ready to proclaim my allegiance to Stannis after that scene. <laughs> because it's so good, and I think it's so uh, the audience that um, he actually has a soft side in him, so it's not always this grumpy... Uh, King wannabe, so I think yeah, I think I think it's good, and I I believe that he'll get more fans after 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 the scene. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, we'll we have another mention of the Stone Man, yeah, uh, again with Serene. So I'm I don't I don't feel good about this scene <laughs> because I, I'm I'm afraid um, that something bad will happen to Serene, and and I think lots of people also think that. So I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Hopefully not. Yeah. Heard a lot of speculation that uh, they're going to put Shireen in the like case of Mansa's child, and that she's going to be sacrificed or like like chosen for sacrifice, even if it doesn't go through. And that's why a lot of people are saying she's getting a lot of screen time at the moment, is just sort of yeah. warming the audience up. up to her before burning her. Uh, I can't see how that would happen. Like, maybe well, I can't imagine Stannis would let it happen. But I guess if yeah. Stannis and Melisandre are going together to, to Winterfell. Then Selyse might try and do it on her own, maybe, because she makes no secrets about the fact that she hates uh, Shireen and she she blames her and she sees her as an ill omen. So maybe if she fears that Stannis is in trouble or in danger and that he'll be killed by the Bolton, she'll she'll sacrifice Selyse to yeah. as an offering to the god or something. That's that's a possibility. Um, yeah, like if we get the, uh, the like because how it leaves it in the books with like the the pink letter and the uncertain note of Stannis having potentially lost, according to. Ramsey. Mm. Like, if we get mm. that, I can definitely see that sort of driving Sully's off the edge. But that doesn't really connect with the Stone Men in any real way. Um, I actually, mm. I mean, we'll sort of get to it later, but I actually think the Stone Men is it's all in service to a completely different storyline, which is the Tyrion and Jorah journey to Meereen. I think next episode they're going to have to pass through the ruins of Valeria and be attacked by Stone Men. Mm. Yeah, well, we can talk to the, like, when we get to the Jorah stuff, but I think, uh, like, Jorah's going to sort of end up becoming the John Con of the TV show. 
He's yeah, going to yeah, bring yeah. Grayscale to Westeros, and there's going to be like a massive, <laughs> just terrifying epidemic. Like, yeah, he'll be like Patient Zero, or even yeah. that might be the the, the Pale Mare uh, disease. Like he'll bring Grayscale to to Mayreen, and that'll be another, another <laughs> thing that Danny has to deal with. And that'll put him in Danny's good grace. Bloody Jorah. <laughs> He's trying to make amends, and he ends up unleashing a plague upon his city. <laughs> but yeah, back to the wall. I kind of felt sorry for Stannis when he was watching John because it was just like he just wanted to watch someone sword fighting and and his wife his his two wives just appear and start distracting him and uh, I just imagine him getting out of the remote and just turning up the volume on John. <laughs> You're just watch, watching the fight. Oh, that guy's a bastard. Sorry, I never gave you a son. It's like wow, you're oh my god, Celeste. <laughs> take it, <laughs> take a time out. Trying to watch the sword fighting. Because it, it feels like, yeah, Stannis just, it feels like he's much happier on the wall. He's got much more moxie. I think it's, um, I think it's the idea that, like, there's a lot less, everything on the wall is just as it seems. It's like, we need to survive winter. This is what we have to do. There's none of that courtly, you know, intrigue and pomposity and all that. It's just, it's very sheer and simple and plain. And he likes that. He likes the cold. He's, he's amping up for the campaign. Like Stannis is very much a man of action. Yeah. Sort he's of campaign he's, he's mode. getting focused and energized to, to take the fight to the Boltons. He's in his zone. Because I think, you know, having to sit around and do nothing is death for a man like Stannis. Being on the margins, feeling impotent and weak as he did in the last couple of seasons. And it felt bad, like, for the viewer. Like, you kept cutting back to Stannis and it just wasn't interesting because he had nothing to do. They kept having to pat out and delay his eventual, you know, heroic arrival at the Battle of the Wall. But but now that he's at the Wall, it's there's a really interesting shift in his character. I'm definitely back on board. So do you think Sam will go to Old Town? Or he'll no, just stay at the wall. I don't think so, no. Yeah, they're probably just going to crunch that because mm. sort of what him going to the uh, old town, we get a couple insights into the, the like, maester. I forget, is Marwin the major? I can't remember. Yeah. We get some insights yeah. into that. We get, a like, a window on the Ironborn attacking the Reach. And there's the whole plot with the, um, what is it? Uh Alchemist? Yeah. yeah. Mm. So there's the Alchemist happening. Possibly that's the Bravosi or the Faceless Men sending an Alchemist to find a book on Killing Dragon, and that's just way too complicated for the show to approach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> way too much book knowledge required. <laughs> Very on. clunky exposition, and a lot of brothel scenes needed to explain all the lines. <laughs> just the whole episode in a brothel, just like going over all this dense <laughs> like, exposition. You just have like yeah, this naked town brothels. This naked lady on a chalkboard, just like running the audience through everything. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, let's move on. So Sam has John sign a stack of letters requesting the Houses of Westeros for aid and reinforcement. He leaves Bolton till last, and John begrudgingly signs. Afterwards, Melisandre shows up and tries to proposition John, but he rebuffs her, saying he still loves Ygritte. And Mel tells John that he knows nothing. And then there's some dramatic music. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> she says, "It's it's another bitterly. it's another Gendry scene, so I'm not, I'm not I'm not a fan." Gendry? Yeah, Gendry. I mean, she basically. Uh, oh right, right. Him. right. Yeah, I mean, it, it reminded me of that scene, and but at least John finally, you know, uh, realized. That it's not probably not a good idea, but I I don't know. I, I, I said in the forums that, oh, it, it's just another way for HBO to fulfill their book quota for the episode. So, yeah. bit, bit of a tangent, but did any of you guys think that when uh, Bronn and Jamie were rowing through the ocean that we just get a little passing shot of a boat with, like, Gendry's bloated husk of a corpse? <laughs> I'm yep. almost completely certain that the uh, boat that Jorah stole was Gendry's. 
But Gendry, Gendry, <laughs> he got halfway across it's the, the ocean, stole a bigger boat, grew a beard, and got all the way to Essos just to get knocked out by Jora. Jora <laughs> stole his boat. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> but uh, anyway, back to the wall. So no, I just um, want to say quickly, uh, I liked how Ned Stark-like John was in his scene. Like it sort of it played up the connections between him and Ned. Yeah. Just in the way that a he chose the pragmatic option, putting the greater good before his sort of own family's issues, and and rebuffing Melisandre. And it also I like it like sort of linked back to Stannis saying earlier how like uh, just having a bastard wasn't Ned Stark's way. And then later on we get John rebuffing a woman coming on to him. Mm. there was a lot of good parallels and sort of like that's why i'm not that phase like i disagree with you saying it's just hbo fulfilling its nudity quota because it did <laughs> it did sort of play into john's character and shows how he's sort of growing and developing into yeah ned jr because he's always on about like oh, i've got to obey my vows but now it's a whole different level now where he's actually in charge of something he has to think strategically he has to think about the men that he serves um, and what kind of leader he wants to be. So these are very big decisions, even though they don't seem that big. So having to sign a letter saying, you know, Bolton, can you send me men is a huge thing because he's having to shed his stark sympathies and say, all right, I'm the leader of the Night's Watch. This is what I have to do. And again, same with, um, yeah, Melisandre, as you say, it's him putting his duties below his desires. Anyway, shall we move on to Winterfell? Yep. Okay. So, Littlefinger finds Sansa wandering the crypts of Winterfell and pontificating on her Aunt Lysa's untimely death at the hands of Rhaegar Targaryen. He tells her that he is returning to King's Landing to lay any of Cersei's suspicions. Uh, He believes that Stannis will rally the North and crush the Boltons. But if he doesn't, Sansa will have to marry Ramsay and make her his own. Before leaving, he kisses her and she lets him. What did you guys think of this crypt scene? Uh, I definitely I definitely enjoyed the uh, tourney of Harrenhal. Harrenhal, yeah. That was a nice Finally. little thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely, yeah. Really, it wasn't that too detailed, but it was nice to hear about it and hear about the scene where Rhaegar passes Elia Martell and, and places it on Lyanna's head. That's, that's a big part. Like, we haven't heard that much of Rhaegar. We've heard snippets here and there, but it's nice to hear that about him. Um, and we get another mention of Rhaegar later in the episode. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a good parallel with the Barristan scene. Mm. So there are two sides of the story, which one that you will not believe. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. and people are saying that oh, so the show is basically confirming the R plus L equals J. Yeah, that's what people have speculated. That um, there's a bunch of little clues in this episode. We hear that Rhaegar may have loved Lyanna. Uh, we hear that he wasn't actually some monster from Barrison, that he was actually quite, you know, um, honorable and sympathetic and gallant and all that. You know, he cared about people. So this idea that this this narrative that, that Robin has spun, that he was a, a kidnapper and a raper, may not have as much credibility as we thought. Uh, we hear Stannis saying things like, you know, Ned Stark isn't the kind of person to make a bastard. And, and Melisandre says, there's more power in you than you know, things like that. So it's getting at this idea that, you know, John might, he's mm-hmm. not who he seems. Oh, yeah, because if the show's going for seven or eight seasons, and at some point they are going to reveal R plus L equals J somehow, they've got to start dropping hints now so it doesn't seem so out of nowhere when they do in a season or two. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the first time I think that show watchers could foreseeably put that together, R plus L equals show, with the information that they get at the end of this episode. And I like that we see the crib again, because we haven't seen that uh, place in season one or two, two maybe. Yeah. I mean, so it's I, good. I can't even like 
you know, critique these episodes, the, the, these scenes objectively, because like a Stark returning to Winterfell, it's just like it's, I'm just an open wound when it comes to that. It's just like it's something I've thought about, like you know, for so long. It's like oh, I can't deal with this. So I could just watch a whole episode of Sansa wandering around the crypts, lighting candles, <laughs> talking about all her ancestors. It's so cool. Uh, what do you think about uh, Littlefinger's um, motives or or plan here? Because it's quite confusing. Um, I don't know. It seems like a pretty mm-hmm. sound plan. Because it mm. seemed like in the previous scene that he was basically selling Sansa out. He was marrying off to this monster. But he, he suggests that the Boltons are not long for this world. You're in Winterfell. That's the important thing. You're, you're something to gather around, something to rescue for the Northmen. So they're gonna, it'll help rally them around Stannis. And that kind of has me worried just because of the sort of that rule of storytelling, that if a plan is going to work, you don't tell them the plan beforehand. True, yeah. And just from a, a Stannis fan and sort of rooting for Stannis that's worrying that we've heard oh this is a plan and Stannis is going to win and everyone's going to live happily ever after cardinal mistake yeah telling the audience the plan means it's not going to happen although he sort of offers a counterpoint that you know what if uh, Bolton triumphs and then little Mm. says well then you'll just have to make Ramsay your own which probably won't work out the way he thinks it will so I'm not looking forward to I'm hoping Stannis will win (laughs) hopefully they build up like the as we are at the moment in the end of the book sort of thinking Stannis is lost like they might just yeah sort of they they build up to Stannis having appeared to lose where he makes an awesome triumphant out of nowhere victory theoretically hopefully the, the characters that are converging on Winterfell is really interesting because we also have Brienne making her way and we have Theon, like, you know, Theon. if if Sansa is taking the role of Jane Poole, then the idea is that Theon will rescue her as a, as a kind of redemption. But we also have Brienne going to rescue her, so I'm not sure. I, I think what might happen is, because she makes this big speech about she wants to claim vengeance on Stannis Baratheon for killing Renly, and I think maybe the decision she has to make will be, do I kill Stannis or do I rescue Sansa? Like, that'll be the crossroad she, she mm. comes to. I hadn't actually thought of that, that they're bringing Brienne and Stannis, like, in the same direction. Into proximity, yeah. yeah they're, moving, actually, they're literally moving in the same direction now. Uh, this, this, this is, like, why I'm, I'm really excited about the Winterfell storyline, because there's just a whole bunch of just it, sort of plates in the air, and no one can quite tell how they're going to come down. And, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of moving sort of parts, and you, you quite can't exciting. quite predict. I mean, you literally can't predict, because it's not in the books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, is this all well and, well and good and logical up until you add Brienne and Pod into the mix? They're just the sort of wild cards that we have no idea how it's going to play out. Imagine a Brienne throwing her lot in with the Boltons as a means of getting a dig at Stannis. No, that would never happen. <laughs> well, it's an unlikely, unlikely, but you can't rule it out, I don't think. I'm, actually, I'm not sure what's, what she's got left to do because next stop is Winterfell. So I'm not sure. She might try and infiltrate the castle in some way. No, that's uh, posing as a singer. Yeah, well, not as a <laughs> like singer, but, but posing as someone like a washerwoman or something like that. Yeah, that's just something I want to gripe about quickly. Is in an earlier episode when Brienne just opts to just go around Moat Kalen through the leagues upon leagues of dangerous swamps filled with like crazy swamp people who were. <laughs> You can't just go around Moat Kalen. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> Never got a chance to gripe about that. So you just... <laughs> we'll just put that out there now. <laughs> um... Sort of getting the image of Pod just on Brienne's shoulders or Brienne's <laughs> just up to her neck in the swamp. You just, just see bubbles. Pod along. Just bubbles along the swamp. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know how she got around to Kaylin. It's, it's hand-waved. She probably just borrowed Littlefinger's TARDIS. Well, maybe the idea is that it's impossible to march an army up through the bog. That you have to take the King's Road. But maybe two people on the road could, you know, fumble their way through. It would take ages, of course, because they're making their way through mud and, and swamp and all that. But it, it could be done, I guess. And they know where they're heading. Like, that's the point. Like, they'll never catch up with them if they take the long road. But they know where they're heading. So maybe that's the, the workaround. Miranda, the uh, Ram- Ramsey's yeah. lover. That's more she of a was, wild you know, card than Ramsey, I think. Sansa. Yeah. With a very fierce eyes. Like, and I think we, we, we get a look, a look of her um, for the next episode of Miranda. I don't know. Yeah, because Ramsey knows he has to behave. Like, he knows his, his father needs him to make this thing work with Sansa. Um, and if Sansa's perceived to be unhappy, the Northmen are going to rise up immediately because their their loyalty is very much with her as we hear that one Lady saying, you know, the North remembers Lady Sansa, which just chills. Um, so, but I think Miranda is definitely the wild card there because she's she's jealous of Sansa. So maybe she'll be the one to to do something horrible to her. Um, but there was a I found a bit of trivia on this on the Sansa scene where she's uh, looking through the crypts. She's lighting the candles and she picks up a dusty old feather. And apparently that's meant to be the feather that uh, King Robert Baratheon places there in episode one. Ah. What's, the, what's the decomposition rate on stray feathers in like winter conditions? I don't know. Well, you can use them as, um, yeah, I guess it's a dry subterranean place. It wouldn't be, would it be wet? Probably, I don't know. It might be, it well, might get a little wet. It would be wet, but it would all be frozen because yeah. be, I guess hot springs under Winterfell. Yeah, I guess cold and hot. Yeah, I'm not sure that'd be good for. But I guess it's a feather. You know, you can use, you can turn them into, you know, riding implements. They, they should have some lasting, longitude <laughs> to them. I think we've put more thought into how much feathers decompose in underground crypts than anyone else has in history. So <laughs> chalk that up to the podcast. <laughs> And they, they, the, apparently the TV writers wrote a little backstory for that. The fact that uh, Robert would often bring feathers to Lyanna as gift from like tropical birds that they didn't have in the north. So he kept doing that after she died. Um, what did you guys think of the kiss? Do you think it's genuine or a bit of uh, Stockholm Syndrome or something? Well, Sansa did mention that I'll be a married woman uh, when the time you got back. So it's probably her saying that, okay, you cannot kiss me again when you get back. Yeah, but the fact that she wasn't a like she didn't recoil or anything. She she seemed kind of into it. I don't know. I only assume it's her playing Littlefinger because that mm. seems to be what they're yeah. building up to from last season is the fact that she's sort of slowly gaining control because she's found Littlefinger's one like irrational spot, the one thing where he's not always guarded and always thinking like clearly. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, actually, that's interesting because he says, you know you'll make him yours. And that maybe that's what Sansa's actually doing to him. She's uh, winding him around her finger, starting to manipulate him. And, yeah, that's She's practicing. Yeah, because ultimately he's more dangerous and powerful than either of them. Um, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure what Sansa's motivations are or where she's where her headspace is at at this point. It's hard to tell. She's sort of playing the game. Okay, any more to say on Winterfell? Nope. nope. Okay, let's move on to Volantis, almost home. So Jorah steals a ship from the ports and stows a freshly kidnapped Tyrion on board. Tyrion discerns that his captor is taking him to Meereen anyway to make amends for spying on Queen Daenerys. He mocks Jorah, saying the Queen is just as likely to execute him as to thank him. And an angry Jorah knocks Tyrion unconscious. Um, so we've already said, I reckon I reckon they're going to make their way through the ruins of Valeria next, because we, we hear that's where 
the stone men are hanging out, and that's that's they'll have to pass through it if they're going by, um, you know, paddle boat to or whatever <laughs> it is on their way to Marine. So no, yeah, that that'll I, I I for one, I know a lot of people kind of found it boring, but I really did like the the travels through Essos on the little like on on John Con's little like barge going what? along the river. I liked all that and all that world building and so we might just get a couple snippets of that and yeah, well, the stone well, man, like looking forward to all that. Well the the boring parts was him just kind of wallowing away miserably, drinking, looking over the side, watching turtles, but actually going through the ruins of Choi Rain and being attacked by these half wild stone men. That was really cool and gothic, so I'd definitely be into that if, if that happens. You know, looking at the ruins of Valeria, maybe getting a bit of a Valerian backstory from Tyrion, who's, who's well versed in dragon lore, and and maybe yeah, being attacked by the Stone Man, that'd be that'd be a cool little detour, I think. Hmm. They did that, didn't they? Is they because during Stannis's little speech to Shireen, they said the uh, Stone Men are in the ruins of Valeria, so yeah. that's kind of interesting that they're like they're probably just condensing. It's like it's like the Iron Bank of last season. They're mentioning it every episode. They're obviously building up to something. Man, well, it's just the fact that it's in Valeria rather than just like, well, I guess technically they were in the Greater Valeria. But yeah, and sort of like I wonder if they mean Valeria is in just like the general area, or if like the actual specific like the Doom, Fire and Brimstone area, which it is in the books. Like, because you think that since they seem to be pushing Dawn a bit this season, they'd go through the old Roinar territory. Just to name drop that and, and world build and show where these Dornish people came from and why they're not the same as everyone else. That's way too complicated for the show. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it would be great to have those. Yeah, yeah. that's what the um, the history, you know, the little history um, animated docs that are on the DVDs are for. Mm, I really that. like those. Yeah, they're really I, good. Yeah, just yeah, like hearing the just sort of book details and world building like narrated by the show characters yeah this yeah. is great I quite, yeah those are great so this was a quite a short scene but i, I like the banter between Tyrion and jorah jorah just being this shell of his former self you know full of desperation and, and frustration um and Tyrion just being the worst little yeah <laughs> just just uh, mocking and and bitter at the world just wanting to hurt people Weird as it may sound, I'm glad that they didn't do the uh, Tyrion spitting out a tooth like they did in the books. Just, <laughs> uh, I have a thing against teeth injuries, like yeah. sort of pretty strong stomach. Like the only parts that have made me feel like yeah in the books is when Bronn loses a tooth in the first one, I think it was, and when Tyrion loses a tooth and and dance. Oh, you must so, have. Uh, all, you must have been the in the stabbing f- and dying and assassination. That's fine, but uh, losing teeth. No, thank you. You must have been in the fetal position in the mountain versus the. Uh, the yeah, I think I said on the podcast like the sprinkling noises. They yeah. all kind of bounced. That yeah, that wasn't pleasant. <laughs> yeah, like uh, knuckles, like that game knuckles just sprinkling, <laughs> just dropping the marbles. Yeah, it's weird seeing characters from Essos and Westeros interacting because the Daenerys storyline has always been so segregated from the rest of the show. So seeing Tyrion and Jorah together, those two storylines are definitely converging in an interesting way, and Varys obviously plotting to return to Westeros. Well, let's head to our final destination, Meereen. So, Barristan is regaling Danny on the gallantry of her older brother, Rhaegar, but she is quickly whisked away by Hisdar, who is still advocating that the fighting pits need to be reopened to restore order to the city. On the streets, Grey Worm and his men are attacked by the Sons of the Harpy. 
Barrison comes to the rescue, defeating the Suns and saving Grey Worm, but collapses from a possible fatal wound. Uh, did, <sighs> you, did you guys see this coming? <laughs> the moment no. Barristan started talking about uh, Rhaegar and they'd start, started humanizing Barristan, that was my like, oh crap, this isn't going to end well. The, the fact that like I was much more on like on edge throughout the fight because they did that like sort of yeah I would have thought Barristan had plot armor but the way that they humanized him and sort of had him cheering a bit of banter that that was yeah that got me worried yeah I feel like they've wasted Barristan he's such a cool character but uh, but we got yeah. a cool scene of him in episode two where he sort of tells Danny you know there's a there's a vein of madness in your family that they can become sort of tyrannical at times you need to restrain that you need to trust in the ordering powers of reason and justice to to be a ruler you have to decide what kind of ruler you want to be um didn't really work out too well for her but i think it was still good advice Hmm. Um, uh, if you're in the group that thinks that that wants danny to just go complete like batshit insane fire and blood and start destroying everything like i am and I'm glad they put that in because that kind of preserves the possibility that she'll just lose it and go hyperviolent. Yeah, definitely. Um, and he gets his badass moment. It's like, you know, we've been drumming up this idea that Barrison is this, this badass old man, uh, but we haven't seen him demonstrate any of that until now. And he was. I think he fulfilled the, the legend of Barrison. I think he just killed about, you know, 12 different guys before he was cut down. <laughs> just walking down the street and then, like, two minutes later, there's just a stack of corpses around him. Yeah, he was off to his next karaoke session and he got interrupted. <laughs> Man, what do you think was... about the unsullied there? Because I, I I read some comments that oh that uh, I mean including myself that's pretty crappy unsullied. Aren't they supposed to be the best of the best? Yeah, I mean it's a bit different because they're you know soldiers. They're used to you know getting into formations for battle, whereas this is like a street fight in an alleyway. Mm. They're better and together. And using spears. Like, mm. Yeah, they're using spears. The sons of the harpy are using knives. They're jumping around like you know, yeah, agile. Much as I enjoyed the fight, like on a logical level, people with like spears and shields should probably do significantly better than dudes in like robes and knives. True, yeah, yeah, that's true. And, like the fight was fun, but sort of picking it apart afterwards, there was a lot of sort of like logical faults, like how uh, just the the sons of the harpy were able to immediately just get like amongst the unsullied in the alleyway. There's no sort of like line or no like presenting point to keep them away. They just sort of fell apart. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and also this scene, uh, it confirmed the uh, one of the article I think in Entertainment Weekly about an actor who's who's upset because his character got killed, uh, whereas he's still alive in the uh, books. So it's Barristan. Yeah, it I seemed... didn't think it was him. Yeah, I, I didn't... thought it was Loras. Yeah, I didn't think he'd actually died when I watched the episode because they deliberately didn't have the killing blow. Where yeah, there was like tries the, the... to cut his throat and he's, they stopped that. And I thought, okay, he's okay. He'll probably be, you know, in a coma or something, but he, he's probably okay. But then, we, yeah, we um, get an article. They, they with show the actor. him dead in the preview. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, in the preview, see, you see him lying down dead. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's an article where the actor yeah. saying, yeah, I was surprised that I that I was ended my role in the show so early. But that's I a weird so decision bad. why they didn't do the killing killing blow then. Yeah, you'd think they'd have it. You'd probably um, just want a cliffhanger, sort of which one will survive, him or Grey Worm. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That could be mm-hmm. it. Unless maybe he's alive for a little bit of next episode before succumbing to his wounds, but probably not. <laughs> now he's just, like, <laughs> chilling on his, like, stone plinth because he's just given, like, a month off with I'm pay. So, so tired. <laughs> Just a coalesce, so he's just chilling. Yeah, it's the only thing that helps his back. It's like a hard surface. It's just therapeutic. 
Um, yeah, too bad. I mean, from all the characters, why kill him? That's that's my only complaint. Yeah, it's sad. Like he does, he does starting to you know do some cool things with him, and then they off him. Mm. Now, now there's less and, uh, interesting characters in Marine, which is a shame. Yeah, he's rolling the battle. If there is a battle, no, I'm, I'm not so sure. The battle of Marine. It kind of um, echoes what Bronze says. You know, how do you want to die? Do you want to die gloriously in battle, or do you do you want to die at the age of eighty? You know, in bed, and that's kind of the decision that Barrison makes. He's quite old; he's an older man. Yeah. He could have just retired, but he says, "No, this is who I am. I'm a, I'm a knight. I'm not going to keep walking. Someone's in trouble. I'm going to go help them. See yeah, if I can save them." Back in the back in the first season, it's like I'm like I don't want a castle to die in. I'm a knight. I'll die like a knight, and sort yeah. of storms out of the throne room. And that's that's the payoff. He got exactly what he wanted in the oh. end. Hell yeah, yeah, that's a good point, yeah. It's a nice bookend to that scene. I will die. Mm-hmm. I lived as a knight, I will die as a knight. And he did. It's cool, yeah. I mean, I'm sad that he's gone, but it was definitely a cool way to go out. And uh, But it's and just like it there's... It's just a like, spoiler. Um, I mean, at the end for the battle, in the, marine, in the, in the books. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> everyone's going to die in this series at some point. <laughs> Well, you could argue that they might not even have the battle, and they'll just they'll just mm-hmm. get back on the track that the the book six is, was going to head on anyway. Like they, they can easily move around those things, I think, and still come to the same conclusion. Like that's that, there's a lot of detail in the books they can just kind of gloss over, and you could have the Barrison figure be played by someone else. It depends. Yeah. Like you know. if you look at all the pieces and sort of threads that lead up to the battle, you've got the uh, you see the like youngish army, I think it is, through the perspective of. Uh, the, I forget his name, but the uh, the Martel boy, uh, and he like Quentin. him in the Quentin. Mar- uh, yes, and you forgot in the- Quentin Martel. <laughs> <laughs> what? Apologies. Quentin, yeah. uh, you see his you, the army marches up. You see like Victorian taking his like Ironborn out of nowhere, like the least likely thing to show up to a battle on the far side of Essos. <laughs> You see, like the the build up of the like volunteer fleets, which may play a part. Like all these threads that lead up with they're just not in the show. So yeah, it would make sense if they just skipped the battle because it would just mm. seem quite anemic without all these various factions just coincidentally showing up simultaneously. Just the Ironborn just suddenly showing up in the Battle of the Marine is just the <laughs> biggest WTF moment for the Yunkish. Well, who the hell are these guys? <laughs> what is happening? Yeah, just imagine Barristan just sitting on his horse, just sort of seeing seeing log ships on the horizon. Just that's from huh. literally out of nowhere. <laughs> Ugh, the, the Ironborn, the biggest trolls. Yeah, never count on the Ironborn doing something logical. <laughs> something I've said for a very long time. Is accurate? Yeah. Um, just rolling back a little bit, I was uh, I like the idea that Hisdar sort of poses that the the fighting pits sort of act as a way of holding the city together that without them suddenly there's no distraction to to keep the slaves entertained suddenly they're looking at the nobles and saying you know why are these guys so much higher than us um and that's kind of the thing that danny stirred up she's she's broken slavery there's no narrative that that you know a, someone from the slums could rise up and, and claim glory to the fighting pits suddenly it's it's these two sets of people um, being angry at each other and not having a distraction to, to keep them and everything in. So it's an interesting argument by his How yeah, he sort of argues that like culture in general is the one thing that the slaves and the masters have in common. Like, sort of on a social and economic level, they're just in different worlds. But at the end of the day, they are both more or less Giscari. Yeah. Sort of how 
Danny with her like foreign culture and like the the risk of her imposing that too much through her leadership is sort of cracking all these foundations and sort of the few things that the slaves and masters have in common just being like overwritten as she kind of runs roughshod over some of their, their like cultural tradi- uh, traditions which don't make sense to her from a Westerosi perspective. Yeah, that's why it's interesting that you see sort of the small folk of Meireen, um backing the, the harpies. You know, you see the prostitutes helping them out. Um, when ultimately we're supposed to understand the Sons of the Harpy as this movement on behalf of the nobles to restore slavery and, and restore the nobles to power and all that. But here it's sort of, it is posed as more of a, a grassroots things where even the small folk, even the, the, the victims that Danny has supposedly liberated are backing the Harpies because they see Danny as this foreign invader destroying their, their national identity and defiling their beliefs. So that, that was an interesting wrinkle, I thought, to the, to the storylines. Um, yeah, and also based on her, her previous decision of behaving uh, Mossador. So now she doesn't even have the small folk on yeah, her side. Yeah, definitely. It, it, everything's mixed up now. She's not the... The glorious, yeah, her honeymoon period is over, definitely. Um, oh, and what about her marriage uh, to his dar? I don't think he'll, he, she'll, she's going to marry uh, his dar in the show. Uh, I reckon she is. Um, I reckon things will get so bad that that'll, that'll be the only way to restore peace. Like, you know, this is this is a big moment. Like, you know, a bunch of unsullied have been killed in the open streets. This is, this is far more vicious than, you know, offing one guy mm. in, a, in a brothel this is a, a declaration of, of war and they've killed yeah. one of her most trusted advisors Barristan so yeah, this, this definitely allies. takes it to mm. a new level well she's losing allies and she needs to restore peace she, she needs to restore order to the city before it, it, it explodes it's definitely yeah it's, it's a powder gig at this point um but I really like the battle, and I really like the final shot of the episode where it's just lingering on all the the fallen bodies. Um, like the fight between the Unsullied and the, the Sons of the Harpy is a fight between anonymous strangers. They could be neighbors for all we know because they're wearing masks. So it's this, um, I don't know, it's just this, this idea that everything is unstable and people are just devouring each other, sort of scrambling to fill that, that power vacuum, scrambling, fighting for dominance. Um, so I like that final shot where, you, where the Sons of the Harpy and Unsullied are sort of indistinguishable for each other in, in, in fighting as well as in death. It's just a, a room of empty bodies and, and silence. So that was cool. Cool shot. Um, so yeah, any more to say on Mayreen? Mm, no, I don't, I don't think so. No, I can't think of anything. Okay. It's uh, probably a good place to leave off. We probably went longer than I expected to, but that's okay. Um, yeah, so that concludes Krakencast for this week. Uh, the tentative time for the recording of this season's episode reviews will be Tuesday at around 7 p.m. East Australian Eastern Standard Time, but probably check the thread to see if we're doing it on that week. We'll sort of play it week by week, but we'll see how we go. Um, yep, you can catch the American episode reviews on Thursday with the Dragon Cast and the European episode reviews uh, generally on the weekend uh, for the Wolf Cast. And uh, yeah, um, thank you for joining me, Joseph. Thank you. Good to be here. And Silvana. Good to be back. <laughs> yeah, good to be back. Yes, my pleasure. And thank I you. hope I can join next week. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Anyone who wants to join, uh, Australians, New Zealanders, Asian Pacific, Indonesians, anyone in that part of the world who wants a bit, bit more of a convenient time after work or after school, um, yeah, will hopefully cater for you. And uh, finally, thank you for listening. This has been the Vassals of Kingsgrave. We'll catch you later. 